After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. So he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sorry about that. Yeah, well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Mike. I am the assistant pastor here of uh, uh, Spiritual Formation. And Scott, as someone prayed, Scott and Kirsten are celebrating their 20th year anniversary in Greece. So it's good to be with you all. And, and I just hope you'll pray for them and their rest and that they'll come back rejuvenated and ready to take us through the holiday season. Um, th- this morning, um, we're going to continue our series on the DNA of the church as we think about who we are. We're, we're remembering who we are. I like this mic. Yeah, you getting it? Yeah. I'm not that bad, but I'm so. <laughs> We're remembering who we are as we think about reopening, 
right? But not only do we want to remember, we want to deepen. We want to take the things that have been true about us and grow in them and continue to deepen as a church. So, um, mine this morning, we, we turn to emotional health. It's been a value at this church for a long time. As many of you know, Scott and Kirsten both are trained as counselors as well as pastors. And I have a little bit of training, and many of you have training. There are quite a few counselors amongst us here. And emotional health has been a value here from the beginning. It's something that we value and we want to continue to look at, especially with how story plays out in our groups. If you've been coming here any amount of time, you know story is a huge value here. We really try to understand God's story as it intersects with that loud beep into our story and as we think about intersecting with others. And so, um, also though, if you have read any news, you know that healthcare, like especially in the areas of counselors, psychologists, they're completely booked right now. I don't know if any of you are trying to get, you know, to get with someone right now to get some personal help. It is almost impossible. People are just booked. There are so many people going to counseling because of the, the national, the, the universal trauma of COVID that's exposing so much that was already there and then causing so much trauma itself in that, think about it, we were made to be together, but to heal, we need to be apart. The very thing that hurts us is isolation, and, and COVID has ensured that we remain isolated. Still to this day, we have a hard time with some of it, right? And so what, what will we do? How do we, how do we get the healing we need? You know, this for me is, is important because counseling can be a very controversial thing. And you, you guys know I do a lot of it here. And, and I, I get it from two sides typically. The first is people, there are a lot of people amongst us and around the church that are they're fearful of the psychobabble. That this will just become a place where now instead of God being the center, man's the center. Or, you, or, or self is the center of our care. And we lose our focus on God. That's the, the first one. The second controversial thing is, left and right, people leave the church to go find care somewhere, somewhere else. We, we see both of those things. People going, hey, how can I get the care I need here? I can't get it here. I'm going to go somewhere else. But then the others who are fearful that this is going to come in and take over the things we value. There's a man named Dallas Willard. And if you know who Tim Keller is, I call Dallas Willard kind of the discipleship version of Tim Keller. He is written extensively on spiritual practices, on things that shape us, things like uh, memorization, uh, silence, contemplative prayer, things like that. He's written so much. And he wrote this book called Renovated. Oh, he didn't write this book. I'm sorry. He he was helped to write this book. And a man named Jim Wilder wrote it. But I want to read to you the first page of this book because they, they saw something. He's been doing this for years, these spiritual practices with people. And here's what he found at the end of the day. People who were memorizing scripture and Bible studies and prayer, going to church, they, they often continue to struggle deeply relationally. They often remain offensive, closed-minded. They are often not enjoyable to be around. Right? And then his wife was a counselor. She was a psychologist. She's seeing people just down the hall from him. You know what she said? People who are growing relationally, they are, have a hard time sensing who God is. They have a hard time changing in their character and becoming more devout in who they are. And so on one side, not getting more relational. On the other side, or, or actually still often rigid and not enjoyable to be around. 
on the other side, not changing in their character, not knowing how to relate with people. Uh, I, I don't know if I said that right, actually. Not, um, not knowing how to, uh, they're not sensing God, not growing in their relationship with God oftentimes. And we see these two. Now listen, he, he died, uh, I think, of prostate cancer. It was real quick at the end of his life. Um, and he was with this man, Jim Wilder, and he learned about attachment. Attachment, I would tell you, if you go see a counselor and they don't know anything about attachment, I would not see them probably. (laughs) Attachment is so important. And the premise is that our earliest attachments say so much about who we are. Do you know that you come out of the womb and 20% of your neurons, 20% are working? Do you know how to unlock the other 80? It's another human being has to look at you, has to touch you, has to hold you, has to mirror your face. That's attachment. 80% of you will not wake up until another human being is involved in your life. That's attachment. And your earliest attachments say so much about who you are today. So much of our behaviors and the ways that we go about life are, are, are shaped in those attachments. Listen to what he said, guys. After learning that and, and wrestling through this stuff with this man, he says, Dallas Willard sat across from me with tears in his eyes as he looked at the floor, as he looked at the floor, Dallas had only weeks to live, but his tears were not for his own life. What I, listen close, what I have learned in this last year, he told me, is more important than what I learned in the rest of my life, but I have no time to write about it. And then he goes on, you need to write about this, Dallas said. His voice was steady, but with mounting passion. I know of no soteriology which is the doctrine of salvation, based on forming a new attachment with God. And that's what this book is about. It's, it's not simply only that we look at our personal attachments, but today in our healing, what is our attachment with God? And how do even those attachments inform our relationship with Him? What does it look like in our intimacy with Him? Today in our passage, it's about that. This is why we're looking at this. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to read the words emotional health. Or even spiritual health for that matter, right? And, and I would, through a lot of reading this week, I'll tell you that you cannot be spiritually healthy without emotional health. Now, this is not as important to our direction, but I will say you can be emotionally healthy and not be spiritually healthy. healthy. There are people that don't believe in Jesus and they're outside of the church and they're emotionally healthy. We, we don't have the contract on that so nobody else can get there. But what we're, for our purposes today, we can't be spiritually healthy unless we're emotionally healthy. They go together. They go together. And so we'll, we'll come back to some of that. But uh, th- this passage has more and more grown very personal for me. Well, it's from the beginning. It's been personal to me. It's, I love it. And, and, and so I'm going to intro it a little bit to you. But it's, it's the story of Peter as, as a Christian prayed. And Peter is one of the disciples. And you, you all know a lot about him. He's very compulsive. He's a fast runner, evidently. He's, you know, remember John gets to the tomb and stops, and then, actually, John's a fast runner, and then Peter just blows by him and goes in. He's just compulsive. There's a lot of those things about him that we know. He cuts the guy's ear off, all that kind of stuff. Um, John 20 is the ending of the book of John, if you didn't know. It's a classical ending, just like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It, It ends. And then sometime later, John 21 is written, and it's called the Epilogue to John. And so it's added later, and it's very purposeful. It's really important. And what is it about? What about Peter? 
What happened to him? We know this massive, colossal failure he had. How does he become the Peter of Acts? What's, what's that look like? And John, our friend, says, slow down. Stop. I, I want you to see this. This is really important if we're going to move forward. And so, how does Peter get this transformation? And, and, and again, I'm not going to talk about, hey, what is emotional health and how we get emotional? I just want to talk about the text. And let us look at what the Bible speaks to. What does that transformation look like in us? And then I'll come back and refer to that some. But we're going to look at it in three places. One, that transformation happens as our community deepens. And then as our care deepens. And then finally, as our call deepens. Those things happen to Peter. His community deepens. His care deepens with Jesus. And then his calling is deepened. And so let's look at it. Um, I'll dive into some of it. So three things about a community like this that we see, and we have to kind of slow down the passage, right? And, and let's, let's start by looking at verses 1 through 3 again. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again by the Sea of Galilee, uh, by the Sea of Tiberias, and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go, to, we will go with you. Uh, they got in the boat, but they caught nothing, as you know. And so I want to I just slow down and like, what could possibly be in that passage, right? Well, the first thing we want to notice is there are only three fishermen in the boat. Peter, if Andrew were there, usually he's mentioned too. Remember, he's Peter's brother. He's not mentioned. It's always Peter and Andrew. He's not there, so he's probably not in the boat. James and John. And then the four others, we know Nathaniel and Thomas, and then two, a couple are not mentioned, right? What do we know about some of them? The first one's Nathaniel. Do you remember him? Jesus is walking along, and he says to him, he says, uh, he's, someone says, hey, come follow Jesus or whatever. And he said, can anything good come from, from uh, Galilee? And, uh, and Jesus sees him, and he comes up and he says, behold, a man who's, there's no guile. Um, an Israelite with no deceit. And Jesus says, and, and Daniel says, wow. He says, I saw you under the fig tree. Evidently, we don't know what happened under the fig tree. But immediately, Nathaniel responds this way. You are the son of God, the king of the Jews. <laughs> the dude, he believes immediately. It doesn't take much. But whatever he was doing and being seen right now, he's like, wow, you are God. And then we have Thomas, who's on the boat. Remember, what's, what's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Unless I touch his hands and put my fingers in the scars, will I believe it's him? They're in the boat together. I've already mentioned Peter and how compulsive he is. John is the opposite of compulsive. He's very slow, methodical, analytical. Remember, even when they're in the boat here, it's the Lord. You know, he, he just, he, he sees it. Peter, he dives in. Like, it's the Lord. And then Peter's gone, right? You have these two guys who some could not be completely different. They're in the boat together, right? And so before we get into some of the rest, it's so important. Why are they fishing, guys? It's because Peter wanted to fish. It's, it's, it's what the community's like. It doesn't matter the differences we have. There is diversity amongst us everywhere, but there's something that unites us, something that makes us want to go, go fishing together. If I go, you come too, because there is that unity there, Right? And so that, that's our start, is that already at the beginning, we see a friendship happening here. We see friendship in the boat with these different people yet together. There's something that's united them. And so, I, you know, I want to slow down and just say, you know, 
when you go, who wants to go with you? Who says, hey, I'll go? You know, I love it. Every time I, I, I'll, I'll run into Lucas, and I'll say, man, I was working on my truck. He's like, dude, I'd do that with you. <laughs> he, I don't know how many times he said that. I'm like, yeah, I should call you more. You know, like he's, but he says that. I love that. He wants to be around me. He wants to be with me, you know. Um, but who, who, when you say you want to do it, who wants to go with you? And then who do you want to go with? Who do you look at and go, I want to be around them more. I want to be in their lives. That's important as we think about friendship. But the second part of this friendship is how mundane it is. We're fishing. You know, the, the, the story's so mundane. Like, it's, it's just some guys out in a boat, one of them's naked, and they're, they're swimming and grilling out, eating, conversation. You know, it's just, there's, this is not a Bible study, right? It's just something about being together in the ordinary places of life. Um, you know, I, I often hear, I, I thought about this some, because I have a hard time with this. Again, he's saying, why didn't you call me, right? Like, I have a hard time. I'm busy. I have a lot of kids, as you guys know. My kids are busy, and they have a lot of things going on. And, you know, there, there's so much that we could say. There's so many reasons of why we don't do this better. But I, I hope we can slow down and go, man, we need this. We need If, if we're going to be transformed like we're talking about here, if we're going to be emotionally and spiritually healthy people, we need each other. And so we need to think about what does it look like to slow down and invite people in and pursue that in others. Um, to not have time for friendship is detrimental to our emotional and spiritual health. That is so important. And so lastly, in this area of community, I just want you to see they're together as they encounter Jesus. When, he, when this happens with Jesus, Peter, he doesn't say, hey, Peter, come over here. Come here let's, let's walk in here and do this. No, he, he does that in front of the disciples. They are with him as they hear his, his repentance, as they hear him process and go deeper with him. This happens in front of them. They encounter together. And there are so many direct lines we can, we can draw there. But, guys, our transformation happens in relationship. Uh, there, there's one guy who says, um, his name is uh, Kurt Thompson, who says, we are hurt in relationship and we will be restored in relationship. So important to hear that, that it happens with Right? Um, for us, I just want to stop and say, where are you right now in your relationship? You know, I know it's a different kind of sermon, but where are you? What are you feeling? What are you needing, needing from a friend right now? What's your encounter with Jesus like right now with friends? What do you need in that? What do you hope for in that? What do you begin to notice? Could you even this morning take a risk to move towards a friendship in this way? Because this kind of community is where transformation happens. I love it that this is where Jesus meets them. Um, you know, and Jesus, he, he gives us a new identity, and it's beautiful, and it unites us, and there are a lot of things to that. But growth in him is as we go deeper spiritually. We need each other. And so that let us take that now into, all right, if his community is deepening, what about his care? What does that look like in our passage? Well, this passage evokes two other passages. And again, I know some of you have heard me preach it, but stay with me in it. Two passages are, are, if you are reading this and you know the rest of the Gospels, other passages come to mind. The first one is Luke 5, 5 through 8. And I'm not going to put it up there because it's the exact same story. It's when Jesus first comes to the disciples. They know of him at this point. But they've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing, remember? And he goes to the shore and he says, hey, let's go out and throw it on the other side. They throw it on the other side and they catch all of them. 
again, the nets, they fill up completely. And do you remember what Peter's response is? He falls down on the boat and he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. In, in the face of the glory of God, in the face of the magnificence of who Jesus is, he cannot stand to be seen. Get away from me, is what he says, as he falls away. What happens in our passage? Nets get full again. What does he do? <laughs> he dives in. We, we miss Peter. We see Peter calling to us. Not, and, and remember, the same glory happens, and he, he's not getting away, but in his faith he moves towards him. And near this morning, I was working on this this morning, I was praying, and I've never noticed I've never noticed it like this anyway. First of all, I want you to see, Peter's fishing again. Jesus said, no more. No more fishing. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And you mean discipleship, right? You have a new profession. And the fullness of fish the first time represent, you don't need to do this anymore. This catch is complete. Peter, let's go there and be with him now. He, fa- he says, even if all the rest do it, I'll never forsake you. I'll never do that. Right? And he has promised over and over he's the man and he'll be at the front and he'll outperform them all. And what happens? He completely denies him. And I, and I hope you know that John 18, it doesn't say he just denies him. There is, there is language to, to make us believe he cursed the name of Jesus. He cursed his name in denial, finding safety in the lie. Right? Imagine how he feels right now. Jesus has come back. But there's been no fish. This is the third time he's been around him, evidently, is what the passage says. But we, we don't know. And, and so what makes him dive in? This time, the net gets full. And for some reason, this landed with me this morning. Guys, the net's full again. Think about it. Like, he has completely betrayed Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He fills the net up again. How gracious is Jesus in this moment? Like, to, to wait for him to come and then do all the repentance. Okay, go back out there. Let me fill the net up again. That's how it would, you would think about it. No, before any of that happens, Jesus fills the net up again. It's full. And, and Peter goes right back to that place of, oh, my gosh, he fulfilled this. He's called me. He has been so gracious. He has chosen me. He dives in and moves towards me. Friends, I, I would venture to say that this may be, Peter finally getting it. Finally getting that it's not his identity. It's not his failures. It's not his successes. It's not his performance that Jesus has chosen him. He doesn't have that to give right now. He wasn't what he promised he would be. And what happens? Jesus fills the net up. And so what can be his only compulsion? I've got to be near him. And, And that's where our call is this morning, that in our shame, friends, in the places where we feel most wounded, hurt, and, and separate, he calls us close. Not because we have some behavior to give him or some performance, but because he fills the nets up. He's that good. And can we allow his grace and his goodness be what draws us for him, to him? I loved seeing that this morning. I don't know if it dropped on you like it did me, but man, what a powerful moment for me this morning as God met me in that. So that's the first story. That's the first story that you would think if you saw this. The same story happens again, this time different outcome. Second story, they get to the, you know, they bring the nets in. Fish are everywhere, I'm sure. It's fishy. And there's 
this fire, right? There's this grill. Jesus already has fish cooking. As if to say, I don't need this fish. <laughs> I don't know what he's saying in it, but it seems pretty cool. But he gets there, and there's a, there's a, there's a fire happening there. And I love it because verse 9 says this. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. They've been fishing all night. What, what do they need? They need food. They need to be cared for. Jesus has the provisions for him. And I, I don't want to skip past that. There's something so caring about this meal they get with Jesus. But not only that, we know what happens in 17 through 19. We'll go to the next slide. When they have, oh, 15, excuse me, 15 to 17. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, you've heard, some of you heard me say this, but those of you who haven't, this is such an important part of our scripture. The words charcoal fire are only one other place in scripture. And it's John 18. John 18, the only other time. You know what happened around the charcoal fire? Two chapters, three chapters before this one? It's where Peter failed him. It's where he denied him three times. The exact same scene is happening on the shore. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, come over here. I I want you to repent of what you did to me. No. Jesus recreates the crackling sound of noise, the fear, the place where Peter's shame is at its deepest. Jesus recreates the fire. And then Peter, do you love me more than these? That's what you said, Peter? And does Peter say, yes, of course I love you. Yeah, I'm going to outdo. No. This time he gives in. He says, no, you know doesn't matter what I've said. You know this. And he, he allows what Jesus thinks of him to win the day. Once, twice, and a third time. The very failure, the very shame that took him so deep, Jesus takes him back above. And I hope you can see it, it is the beauty, the love, the choosing of him and the fish being full that Jesus comes to him. And his identity is, yes, it's your performance, not mine. But Jesus won't stop there. That transformation has to go deeper. And what is that? It's his story. He takes him to the very place where the shame is worst and brings him redemption, brings him healing, brings him forgiveness in all those places. And notice what he doesn't say. Are you ever going to behave like that again? Peter, do you believe me? Do you believe I would do what I promised? No. It's all about what does he love? And this is why Dallas Willard was so moved by attachment. Because there's this word, loving kindness, all through the Old Testament. Dan mentions it all the time. It's called hesed. And, and Dallas began to see that hesed is attachment to God. It's love, being in love with God. Peter, do you love me? Are you attaching to me or something else? And Peter had given his heart to something else. 
And friends, all of us, I believe most of you in here, maybe, maybe you're followers of Jesus. I hope that you are. But the healing still has to go deeper. And that's this, this process that we see happening. I don't, I don't know what else to call it. That process feels cheap to me. But this encounter with Jesus of where he would see that he's loved something else and not Jesus. And friends, you know what we call that? That's repentance. And maybe this is why psychotherapy doesn't, it, it gets a bad rap at times because there's no repentance oftentimes, which means character has not changed. Godliness is not being put on, and repentance is absolutely important. My mentor loves to remind me, repentance is giving into God's way of dealing with your sin. It's not me and my strategies to deal with it anymore. It's not me hiding. It's not me denying. It's not me cutting off ears. It's none of that is what Peter's learning. It's giving into Jesus' way of dealing with me. And that's his kindness, his goodness, and his pursuit and attachment to us. And that's what we see happening for Peter right here. So Jesus is an incredible counselor to him as he invites him and takes him to that space of repentance and receiving his forgiveness and walking in it. Um, there's a guy in Nashville. Uh, somebody's here from Nashville today, and it reminded me, friends, um, it reminded me of a, a man in Nashville I've been talking to recently. He, he, he started a ministry called Tin Man. And he's asked on this podcast, so I was just trying to get to know who he was, why do you call it Tin Man? And I had no idea this existed, but evidently there's a book called The Wizard of Oz or something like that. I know the movie, so just before you, just before you say, wait, of course there is, right? I know, I'm 42. I know there's a, a movie called The Wizard of Oz, right? But evidently there's a book, and you don't hear about it as much because what the man says is it's written very poorly. <laughs> the book is just, it's just not written well, even though the story is pretty incredible. It's evidently about a guy who wants to marry this woman who is not in, it's not, he's not allowed to, he's not supposed to, he does it anyway. And somehow this curses him and he's out, he's a lumberjack and he's out working and he cuts off his arm. And so what does he do? He gets a, a metal arm in its place. And so he starts cutting and he realizes, oh my gosh, it's so efficient. Ends up cutting his other arm off. Cuts a leg off, other leg. And he keeps getting these metal parts till one day find himself where he's lost everything. And so the Tin Man and Wizard of Oz that we know is, if I only had a heart, right? In the, in the book, it's this gradual loss of himself that I think is so important for us to slow down and see how that happens in us. That slowly we give way to these other things and become this hollow person with no heart, with no depth. I've been meeting with this, this woman, and she grew up in... Um, Michigan and left when she was four, and she went to Arizona. And in Arizona, her family divorced, and it was really hard. Became a gymnast, you know, really methodical, very into her grades, would go back and visit Michigan, and her grandfather was an incredible man. And her grandparents were such an inviting, beautiful place. She would go there, and she, had, she was able to run around and have friendships and everything she ever wanted. And then the summer would end, and she would go back to Arizona. And in Arizona, divorce. Her being a gymnast, eating a diet, you know, school, grades, and then the harshness of her parents, split between mom and dad, all of that. And she would long to go back to Michigan in the summer. And then as she got older, she stopped longing for it. And she even began to hate her longing for Michigan because it's just in the way. It's not efficient. It's not what I need to do here. You see? What happened? And slowly she gave way. And today I'm meeting her, and we're working on her marriage. We're in a relationship. We're working on her marriage some because she is 
she's really cold and calculated with her husband. She's always kind of dancing around him. And, and what we've found is in her life, she has the offer of Michigan, and she shuts it down, and she keeps choosing Arizona. Right? And I'm just wondering for you, friend, what is Michigan for you? Where has your heart been? What's become metal? How, has your heart become hollow in these places? And how might this encounter with Jesus lead you to those greater depths with him? And, and our hope is that here at City Church that we would do that. That, that this will be a place where you could learn your story and encounter Jesus in a way like this, to go deeper with him, beyond just mere believing, but going deeper with him as we encounter him. And so finally, if we have this community deepening and this care deepening, which I want to also call discipleship, but finally, we have his calling reaffirmed. You know, and I mentioned it already that, that the gospel shapes us and it, and it calls us to something. And I, but I want to start this one like this. You know, much of Christianity, if you read through this, that book I showed you and, and some other books I've been reading, is that Christianity in America is especially a very left-brain thing. It's about memorization. Remember, linear, language, logical. We, we've made it this study of the mind and, like, what we believe on. Did you know, though, that character in your body is right brain? Character is when something happens in your life and you respond to it, right? And you respond in line with what you believe is good. And that sense of what's good, what's right, all that, that's actually a very right brain mode of place in your brain. But we have made it very left brain, right? Where, again, did you know that the left brain is super slow? If we, a left brain approach to change is so slow that most of us don't have time for it, right? The right brain is quick. Characters form there. You know the main way it happens? Attachment. It's through relationship. If you want to change your character quick, your wife, if, you, if you're a spouse or you're a husband or a wife or you're a friend of someone that's been hurt, look your, friend, look your spouse in the face. That hurts when you do that. There's nothing like it. When my wife is able to sit with me and call out that place I'm hurting of, it does something in me, guys. There's something about attachment, being, being with, that God has made it where that's where transformation, that's where this beauty comes out quickly. And we've made Christianity so left brain we've missed a lot of that. And so the call is, and the, and the, the beauty of what I hope we're doing here at City Church is to go, how do we bring those together? Yes, there's so much goodness in the left brain. How do we bring the right brain in it with the attachment? There, see, right there, the alarm's telling us this is what's true and good. This is what we need to do. But Peter, Acts 4.13 says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated. That's such a funny thing. They saw the boldness. Oh, he's uneducated. Common men. But they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. How does Peter go from this man who failed and is a nobody to this, this bold man of Acts? You've seen it, right? But isn't it also true that today it's so much easier to identify with the Peter of, of the gospel? The failure, the struggles, all of that. Yeah, I get it, man. Me and Peter. Like, I, I do that all the time. But the Peter of Acts, the bold, that astonishes, I have a much harder time living in that. Living and believing that beauty and that strength in me, in you, in us. But friends, that's the calling. And this story, this John 21, hit me at a really pivotal time. I was, I was in college ministry, and I was beginning to learn a little bit about my story. We had something called T-Bowl. You know what T-Bowl is? 
um, it is this testimony thing that you had to do during the summer where this song would come on and everybody would start dancing and, 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 and we'd pull a name out of a hat and you had to be ready to give your story of salvation, right? And I'm just like cringing because my story, when I talk about the past, everyone here is like, well, I thought I wasn't a Christian. I mean, I thought I was a Christian. I wasn't. And then I learned this and that. And my story, though, is one of, you, you guys know, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of me perpetuating that harm in, in women and other places, a lot of isolation, a lot of hiding, a lot of manipulating and getting my way through life. And then Jesus found me one day. And I don't, I don't want to say that to these people. And I remember I read an article. It was called Peter Meets Jesus. And it was written by a man named Tim Keller. And there was an article in, it, in this counseling journal that I was reading. And I'll never forget. He says that Peter... Peter tells us something. Peter tells us something about the mission that we're called to. He's the disciple that blew it the most. And Tim goes on to say, he wasn't on plan B. He wasn't on plan B. We have a God who's in the business. Of, of those who've been down the most, he takes and flips and makes the greatest. He takes weakness and makes strength. He takes hardship and brings sight out of it. He brings beauty. And, and guys, for the first time ever, I saw a place for my story in Christianity. That, that it, I wasn't too broken. I wasn't too harmed. That, that, I, there was, that I had a God who, who transforms, who takes weakness and makes strength and beauty out of it. And that's the call. And that's what has shaped the mission, guys. Peter, who goes out, he's a wounded healer. He knows what it's like to go there. So he can go out now in humility because he knows what's happened. It wasn't his performance. It wasn't something he did and deserved Jesus' love. No, instead, it was the opposite. And as he got that, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Go give it to my people. You get it now. And, and that's why this encounter is that. It is so much, it's just important. It's, it's for us to not just know it logically where we can explain it, but to encounter that kind of healing and love on that level. And it comes out of us now. It's this boldness now. It's this confidence to go and say, listen, I know you may not agree to it. You may not agree with it. And it seems crazy, but he loves us. And he can take your weakness and he can turn it around. He's done that in me and he can do that in you. That's the mission we're called to. And the healing shapes the mission. It, it, it invigorates it. It gives us the humility and power for the vision. Because to the degree we go down, he takes us up. That's what this teaches us. And so, friends, I, I want to end with what is emotional maturity? I'm going to define it now. And I'm going to use, I'm going to steal from the books I read. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you this is Jim, and, and there's a Pete Cazero quote in here. There's a lot of different things. I'm just, I want to read it out loud, though. This is what emotional maturity is for, and I think it's well said. It says, emotional maturity refers primarily to having our feelings, desires, and emotions under the guidance and control of what is good. Your feelings, desires, and emotions under the desire and control of what is good. And friends, you know what the problem is? We don't know what's good. And that's why spiritual maturity is important. Because spiritual maturity, the spiritual mature person is someone who has chosen the kingdom of God. God's reign over them to God what is good. Not only that, not only that, but the kingdom of God is understood as what will enable them to achieve and live for what is good. They have developed the knowledge and habits that keep them constantly turned towards an expectant God 
and God's action in their lives. That's why spiritual disciplines are important, is that we are directing our wills, for sure. But it's our emotions, desires, all of those things in line with what we have learned goodness is. And where do we learn goodness? It's what Scripture tells us. It's what the kingdom of God's about. And so emotional and spiritual maturity, they must be married. They must go together if we're going to grow and live out this calling of what he's done in us and through us. So let's grow our friendships. Let's deepen our care. And let's, as that happens, let this authentic calling flow out of who we are as a church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've um, done exactly what you're calling us to. You came here and were vulnerable in the flesh. And you died in our place so that we could live in your flesh. And I pray that all of us would encounter you in deeper ways, that we would hear that voice and have places of story that you take us in to heal us so that we can do what you're calling us to do, to show the world how loving and how good you are. So, Lord, would you, would you help us grow in our relationships? Would you help us grow in our understanding of your word and what's good and to live out that goodness as your people? We pray this in your name. Amen. Now we have a time of confession, and once a month we confess what we believe, but I want for a minute for us just to think about what in this sermon pricked your heart um, with Jesus' kindness about how we need community, how we don't need to be in isolation. Um, Take a minute in the silence before we confess corporately what we believe.